Amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's fun to worship. And um, just to connect with God's heart uh, together with the family. Um, my name is Tyler Harding, the lead pastor here at Antioch. And again, it's your first time. We're glad you're here. And you can come get a free lunch next week, as Chris said, at a newcomer's lunch. Um, before I jump in the message, wanted to just share a couple things. Um, uh, one is I just want to encourage everyone who jumped into our 24-hour prayer that went on from Friday night at 6 p.m. till Saturday night at 6 p.m. If you didn't hear about it, you can catch up on it uh, at the end of, of, of October. We're going to do one a month here in the fall. Uh, and all it is is 24 hours, and uh, if you just come for like one hour block, you get to pray and worship with other people, and it was awesome. We had a couple of faithful all-nighters uh, who did the kind of 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. Crazy. College students, love you. It's awesome. Uh, and, um, and just for everyone else involved, just so glad we got to pray together, and we'll do it again. But just, you know, our heart as a people is that we realize that there are things we can do in the natural, Right? I mean, there are equippings we can do. There are things we can do in our lives. There are systems and processes we can put in place for our families and for different things and different ministries. But at the end of the day, if we don't have prayer as the bedrock thing asking for the breakthrough, we can just be hamsters in a wheel, spinning ourselves, trying to get things done, trying to move the ball forward in the kingdom, and it's just not going to happen. But, uh, but if we actually get down and humble ourselves and say, God, would you move? He shows up, and it's like, wow, he did all the work for us, right? And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in your life, that if you're not praying for something that is a struggle for you, my encouragement is pray. Jump in, engage, and say, God, would you provide the breakthrough? Because I don't know what to do, but I know that you do, right? Um, so along those lines, we actually have a corporate fast coming up, October 9th, 10th, and 11th. And it's not just that you'll be uh, not eating food for a few days. It's, that it's, it's made so that you would actually create space for God to enter into that space in your life. And when you hunger for food, to remind you, hey, I actually want to hunger for God. And so we would encourage you to participate however you can, October 9th, 10th, and 11th. We'll be sharing more in, in the coming weeks. That's two weeks away. And so just wanted to encourage you with that. And we'll be having some things going up, up here at the church each of those days. And we'll be breaking uh, the fast that Wednesday night in our life groups or in your community. Uh, just want to make you aware of that. All right. Let me pray for us again as we jump into this message. Jesus, we thank you. And we do trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with everything. And we just ask this morning you'd open up our hearts again, that we would be a people surrendered to you, that we'd be a people that we elevate the word of God and we say, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, reveal to us the things we're off, the place we're missing so that we can grow, become more Christ-like in every way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, um, in the first year of this church, back in 2009, we were invited to be part of a international kind of student ministry and it was called a coffee house, all right? And so what it was, was over, I think they've actually bulldozed them now and they're building big buildings now, but uh, back in 2009, they had a bunch of marriage student housing, which were primarily for international students and married couples. And so we would go over there, partner with some people, and we would show up, and I think it was on a Sunday evening. And what they would do, they'd set up tables, they'd have butcher paper all on the tables with crayons for kids and families, and then they would have coffee and tea and some sort of dessert. And so all these students would come. You'd have 40, 50, 60 internationals that would just come and hang out. Some of them spoke great English. Some of them didn't. Some of them had just gotten here. Some of them had been here a couple of years. But we just sat down and got to love on them. And there'd be maybe 10 or 12 of us. And we'd just kind of sit at different tables and just strike up conversations. And if people were spiritually hungry, we'd keep talking. If they didn't, we just loved on them and, and, and just hung out with their kids. And so I remember sitting down one time. 
And I'm sitting down talking to this man who's from China, and, and, and we were talking, and I started talking about Jesus and just said, hey, what do you know about Jesus? I don't know a whole lot. I said, well, hey, what I believe and what I see in, in the Bible is that, is, that, is that God says that we have all sinned. And I, so I kind of unpacked for him what, what sin was. As we began talking about it, um, uh, I, I, I said that all people had sinned. And he said, well, I don't believe it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I sinned, but not my wife. I said, man, you got a great wife. <laughs> wow. So I said, well, tell me more. I, I, so I, I kind of went through, okay, let's go through the Ten Commandments. Hey, has she ever lied? I don't think so. Man. Uh, what about stole anything? No, she would never steal. My gosh, I'm striking out here, this guy. So we began talking a little more, right? And I remember talking to him and packing him as we kept going down the line to say, hey, can I create awareness to this guy? I finally got him. I forgot what it was, but finally talked to him. He's like, well, I think she's probably done that before. I said, okay, there we go. I said, your wife, although amazing, still has sinned, right? So we eventually got there, right? But it was fun because as we were talking, the realization he was having is that, wait a second, he thought that sins were just for people who murdered and went to prison. And where he's from in his town, his province in China, Really bad people deserve the bad stuff. But everybody else, if you're just good citizens, you were okay. And his, his whole paradigm was, if you just remain enough on the good side of life and society, you don't need God's help. It's only people that really do bad things that actually need God's help, right? And I would say in many ways in our own society, our own country, many people view that the same way. They're the same perspective. Well, I'm not really bad. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a killer. I'm not a, I'm not a thief. I mean, I just told a few lies. I mean, I just got angry a few times. That's no big deal, right? But we tend to think that, hey, it's, there are two camps, and actually God says, I'm actually going to put you on the same camp. You're all in the sinner's camp. Congratulations, right? That's who we are. And so we have to remember and ask ourselves, okay, if we all have sin, which is what we believe, what do we do with that, right? And so understanding that you have this good people, bad people concept. Well, in Romans 3, 9 through 10, it says this, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None is righteous, no, not one. He just says, Paul's writing this letter back to, the, back to uh, believers in Rome, and he's saying, hey, nobody's righteous. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Everybody has sinned. And therefore, puts us all on the same playing field. Now, let's just do this calculation for a moment for all you mathematicians in the room, all right? See if you can track with me here. Let's just say that the average span of life for someone to live would be 80 years. Let's say you live a full, long, you know, energetic 80 years, right? So if we go with this idea that everyone sinned, let's just go on the conservative side and say that everybody sins one time a day. Just once, right? I know most of you are probably in that category, right? But just one a day. One outburst, one thought, oh, I don't like that guy. One road rage moment, right? One lie, well, that wasn't really the story. The fish was actually this big. I mean, just go down the line, right? Let's just say that everyone in this room, we're all pretty good people, just one sin a day, all right? Times that by 365 days, by 80 years. Therefore, the minimum probably in your lifetime you will sin will be 29,200 times. All right, so that's the minimum, if you're in the minimum, you're in that top 1%. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. I've only sinned 29,200 times, Jesus. I know we're at the end here. I'm standing before you, but it's only 29,000. 
57,000 over here, right? Right? That's how we think sometimes. We sometimes think that, hey, it's not that bad. When you multiply it, it's actually pretty bad, right? 29,000. So, which means collectively in this room alone, give or take 700 people, there are approximately 20 million sins represented in this room. 20 million. That's a lot to forgive. Do you know how many animal sacrifices you'd have to just do to try to make up for that? There would be no more livestock. It would be gone. We would then die of famine, right? This is the reality of our sin. I'm joking a little bit here, but you have to know the reality is that none of us are good. All of us are messed up. And all of us, if we required animal sacrifice, which is the Old Testament way, for our sins, we would then starve to death. Which is why God sent his son, Jesus, to say, this ain't working because the world's multiplying out with more people, right? And there's only more sin. And there has to be no. So he sends his son, Jesus, in John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His only son, not one of God's sons, right? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Did you know that that is God's heart? Sometimes people miss that part, um, that the world might be saved through him. He didn't send him, he sent him to save the world, not to condemn it. Like God's heart is, here's my creation. It has been ravaged by sin, but I want to redeem it. I want it back. I want back where the enemy has stolen. I want back, going back to the Garden of Eden, I want to restore people, and I want them to know they can have access back to me, that sin which has separated their ability to have a relationship with me, I want to restore that, and I want to bridge the gap by putting my son Jesus there and saying, if you will believe in him, if you will trust in him, if you will, if you will receive his forgiveness, guess what? You can now have a relationship. See, the topic of forgiveness is at the core of the gospel message. This whole series we've been talking about passion and purpose. What is Jesus passionate about? And how can we align our lives with his purposes, right? And what does that look like? We've talked about worship and, and prayer and other things. And today we're going to talk about forgiveness or maybe unforgiveness. Jesus is really passionate about forgiveness, but some of us are maybe stuck in the camp of unforgiveness. Now I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 18. And we're going to read a passage that may be familiar to some of you or new to others. It's okay. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. And as you're flipping there, I just want to give you a bit of context. Um, in the Jewish culture, to forgive somebody three times was enough. So, like, that was, like, the standard. If you forgive someone three times, then you were a good Jew. That was good. You don't have to forgive them more than that. They do that more than that, then you don't forgive them anymore. But it was forgive them three times, okay? That was a very normal custom. So, Peter here who's one of Christ's disciples, he asked the question of Jesus in Matthew 18. He says, hey, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Which is an honest question. I think most of us would probably ask that question. Hey, kind of, what are you expecting, Jesus? I mean, how many times should I forgive somebody? And he says, and Peter says, as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or your version may say 70 times seven. Now, before you, go on, before you go mathematical on me, Jesus isn't saying just now 490 times. Hey, that's it, 490, which I forgive my wife 490. Yeah, I'm done. 
right? I mean, we're 10 years in, 12 years in, I'm good, right? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. 70 times 7. When you think about that, just think like forever, like eternal, like, like infinite. Like that's the number of times you're supposed to forgive someone. So that's a little daunting, but take that in for a moment as we go into verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now remember for context, Jesus just answered Peter's question. 70 times 7, not just 7, Peter. So Peter thought he's going to be a good Jew. Hey, most guys do 3, Jesus. What about 7, right? 7, huh? Jesus is like, hey, Peter, there you go again. Uh, 70 times 7. He's like, okay, I missed it, right? So Jesus is now going to unpack it for the crowd there, a kingdom parable, which oftentimes he is trying to get across a bigger message to us. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Wow. Wow, what a moment, right? I was acting this out yesterday morning with my kids. A little Saturday morning devotion, a little, little preaching prep time. I figured if I can get it into them, I can get it into you. And so there we are, and, and uh, I, had, I had Graham acting out to be, to be this slave here, and I was the king. And so then Graham got down on his knees and was like, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And so I looked at him, and I was like, you're forgiven, you know. And so we let him up, and they all had a good time with it, right? So I was thinking about it, though. Um, for a grown man to get down on the ground and to humble themselves, prostrate, which means like you were getting down in a very vulnerable spot, is saying something that means that there's an indication that, yes, they really do, they're really at a desperate end, right? And so you would think before you read on that this man's heart was pure in what he was seeking and wanting and came to this desperate place as they share this parable. Now, before we move on, I want you to know that um, for on, on, it, within this whole parable, we're going to see something about one slave owes this much, another one, another one owes this, all right? So this slave owes what? 10,000 talents. So let me give you a little modern-day terms here on 10,000 talents, all right? One denarii was a day's wage, and since people worked for six days a week, you can imagine the 100 denarii would be four months' wages for maybe a standard labor, right? So in one year, you could earn 300 denarii. And just remember, although it says slaves in this version, it also says servants, Get in the context that slaves and servants were actually paid money in biblical times, all right? So it just means they were, they were hired on to this master. So 300 denarii would be a year's wage. So in 20 years of working that same steady job, which would be presumed to be the case, you would make 6,000 denarii, which is a lot of money, which means that in 20 years, you would make enough money to pay back one talent, right? He owes how much? 10,000. So he's only got 9,999 to go. Right? And so this guy gets down and says, hey, please give me a chance. I'll repay it. With that in mind, we're thinking, this guy's an idiot. You can never repay that. 10,000 talents? Do you know how much it's going to take and repay 10,000 talents? Do the math. 200,000 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. 200,000 years to repay the debt he owes. So let's keep Moving here, 
The main point is that, in this first part, is that your forgiveness has to be received. It will never be earned. Your forgiveness will never be earned. And need I say, not just from God, but for you to expect others to earn it from you is off as well. A lot of times you may say, hey, I'm all about receiving the goodness and the kindness and the grace and mercy of God, but I'm not so sure about extending it, which is we're getting into in just a moment. But the king responds to this man who lays prostrate, even though he could have thrown him in. He was about to with the family and his kids. And did you know that your sin, right? We're talking about debts here. We're talking about sin is what he's relating to because Peter asked the question about how many times I forgive my brother and Jesus shares this parable. Did you know that your sin has a significant impact in your family? It does. If you just look at fatherlessness in our country and our nation, and then you kind of connect the dots, hey, how did that family pan out? You're going to see a lot of destruction, a lot of devastation. You're going to see a lot of insecurity, a lot of self-pity. You're going to see brokenness. You're going to see violence. The ones that actually make it out of that and are whole and healthy, it's amazing. It's a borderline miracle because God designed the family to be a dad and a mom raising children and doing it together in humility. And so when one man sins and goes off, or a mom sins and goes off, when they do that, they leave the family on their own. <coughs> Let me just say, it's not just in the big things, it's the little things. Ashley and I, we had Ethan, he was a, a couple years old, and began talking. And he had a real stuttering problem at the time. He was two or three years old. And, you know... <laughs> When you're a parent and, like, you see your kids struggling, it is, you, you hate it. Um, I had never actually felt feelings like I had when Ethan started stuttering. It was just, like, you feel helpless. We didn't know what to do. We were, like, we pray, lay hands on him, heal him. We didn't know what to do. And finally, one day, as we prayed over him many times to be healed, he wasn't healed. And then one day, God brought it to mind. And the Lord said, Ashley and Tyler, you're running too fast. Slow down. His speech is being hindered by your pace. And it was sinful behavior on our end. We were living in stressful mode. We weren't resting. We weren't, and we got convicted big time. Do you know what we did? We slowed down. We started saying no to some people and different appointments. Things said, hey, no, we're going to protect this time. Do you know what happened? His speech within a matter of weeks turned over and it was gone. He speaks great. You can talk to Ethan now. He can talk a lot. <laughs> Talks more than most of you. Right? But do you see how like our sin was actually affecting him physically? Do not think that everything in life is a medical issue. I would say a lot of things are actually sin issues that we want to slap a medical term on instead of addressing it from the heart. I'm not saying there's not medical issues. There are plenty of them. But I think our country is way more in with dealing with the outside than dealing with the inside. But the king responds and he says he felt compassion. He released him and forgave his debt. You know, many times in the Gospels when Jesus is moved to heal someone physically, it says he's moved by compassion. He saw them, had compassion for them and healed them. And it says like he like healed the whole village, you know. I mean, the compassion of God through Christ is what drives him many a times. Compassion here. So this is how the king responds. But let's continue on in verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So remember, four months wages. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell 
to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Anyone remember the golden rule? Did you ever get that growing up in school or mom and dad? comes from Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others you would have them do to you. We learn that as kids, but then somewhere along the way, we tend to forget it, right? Well, that was cool for grade school, but now I'm an adult, right? You can't definitely work like that. But here Jesus is kind of giving us a window to this golden rule, which is if you've received mercy, you don't extend it, then this is how you actually react. This is how you respond. Have you ever gotten pulled over for a speeding ticket or for, for speeding and you're sitting there and you're like, Lord Jesus, help me. I didn't mean it. I was just, I, I don't know, that billboard or the birds or that hawk just came and I got that rat and it was so cool to watch it. Or that person, I was just jamming out. I was worshiping. Well, how can I get a speeding ticket when I'm worshiping? This is not right. You know, you know you are. You're there. <laughs> and the police officer pulls over. You're like, yes, sir. You know, and, and uh, he talks to you and he decides to extend you mercy and I give you a ticket. And whatever that happens, it's happened to me once, by the way. Uh, some of you have had it happen lots of times, which is okay. I bless you. I'm not judgmental. Um, you just probably look nicer. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, so if you get that moment where he says, hey, you can go, you're like, oh, man, it's release, right? But have you ever had that happen to you? And then within 24 hours, you're on the road driving on Highway 6, and this car coming in from probably Houston is coming up pretty fast, <laughs> going 80, 90. You're like, what is going on? And, and you're like, do I pull over? What do I do? You're like, I should make him obey the law. You know, just, and, he, and then, well, I'm going to pull over. He goes past you, like, I hope the cop gets that guy, right? <laughs> Even though you were going 80 or 90 the day before, right? I mean, this is us. We struggle with this. We are great with getting the blessing. We, no problem with that. I like mercy. Bring on the grace. Extend me favor. Yes, Lord. Let's sing songs about that all day. Don't make me sing songs about forgive my brother, my neighbor, everyone who's hurt me. We don't write a lot of those songs, do we? Why? Because it's painful to actually do that. It's not painful to receive blessing. It's painful to actually let the blessing go through you and extend to someone else because it means you actually have to let go. You actually have to extend some some, some nature of God elements, which is love and mercy and forgiveness, into another person. It's okay to receive it from the perfect father, but to give it to an imperfect person is like, wait a second, until you realize, wait a second, I'm imperfect too, right? You know, I'll call this mindset the entitlement mindset. One, one definition for entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. I think we have an entitlement issue in our nation in general, and I think we also have in the church as well. And there's a lot of people that feel entitled to some special privilege. You may be thinking, hey, I deserve mercy. I deserve grace. I deserve to be let off the hook, but they don't. I believe that my circumstances should have turned out differently. Therefore, I will remain bitter and spiteful and will cling to that pain. Some people don't ever deal with unforgiveness because they just, it's too hard. Um, but, you know, we're all susceptible to feeling this way, aren't we? Um, I want you to think of a time you were at a restaurant and someone embarrassed you, right? So think about mom or dad, potentially, 
a brother, sister, a friend. And when I mean embarrassing, you're not like, hey, it's their birthday, you know, not, not that. What I mean is like, let's say that it's your dad and he orders the hamburger and he doesn't like tomatoes and it comes with tomatoes and he gets the hamburger. He's like, hey, I said no tomatoes. What's your problem? Right? That guy. You're like, dad, what are you doing? You know, or maybe even waiting for a table, waiting for 10 minutes. It's a long time for some people. You were waiting. Hey, they said it was going to be five minutes and now it's 10. This, was this hostess lying to us? You know? <laughs> Hey, hostess, I need to see your manager. You said five, it's been 10, right? Like if that's your mom, you're thinking, mom, what are you doing? Can we leave, right? I mean, this happens to every teenager. At some point, you just get embarrassed by mom and dad. Some all the way, right? You know, I was talking to someone um, a few years ago, a waiter in town, and I said, hey, what's like the most hectic and hardest meal time of the week? Do you know what he said? Sunday lunch. We got any waiters, waitresses in the room? Ever been one? Is Sunday lunch tough? Why is Sunday lunch tough? Everybody had the day off. Work isn't stressing you out, is it? You got to play games, watch football, sleep in. What's the problem with Sunday lunch? Oh, it's the church people coming to lunch. And they're hungry. But wait a second. Didn't we just leave and worship God? And read the Bible and pray for people and help kids and say welcome to Antioch with a big smile? Didn't we just do that? Oh, wait a second. Chipotle. Hey, where's my burrito, bro? Right? And this is, this is how we respond to people. We are just like the wicked slave. That is us. Do you know why I know that? Because people would never label the church as hypocrites if we weren't them. They give us labels because we deserve them. I'm not talking about every single person in the room. You know where you are in your heart with God. But if you walk out of a life group to only go home and just to get ticked off and angry at your roommates for leaving a cup out, there's a problem there. If you receive forgiveness from God up here on a Sunday morning, there's something, a breakthrough happens, and then you go back to your dorm, and all of a sudden, your roommate, you want to send them forgiveness. That's a problem. I would argue that we're getting stuck on unforgiveness. So let's continue on here in this passage of verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the wicked servant here, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You shall not also, uh, you should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, this part of the story gets a little real. Um, you can read it 10 times and read different interpretations, but I like to read things kind of black and white. And it's pretty clear that if we don't extend the same kind of mercy that God extended to us, then the real question is, did we actually ever receive mercy? 
Like, did you actually really receive forgiveness? Did you actually realize and understand in a moment that, yes, God has forgiven me of my 10,000 talents, of my 200,000 years of wages, and all my sin, and my 29,200 sins? God's forgiven me of that. He's really forgiven me. Because the Bible says, he who's been forgiven much, loves much. He who's been forgiven little, loves little. There's a, a tethering concept here, right? Which he says, um, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. These are the words of Jesus, and he knows his father pretty well. <coughs> and what he's saying, if you don't extend mercy, I'm not so sure you've actually ever received it. And remember, this whole parable started off with a king came to settle accounts. He came to settle accounts with his people. There is a day of settling accounts with each of us. One day, we will have to settle accounts with Jesus. We will stand before him and the Father and say either, I know you or I don't know you. Um, you've either received forgiveness or you haven't. But that day is too late to make a decision. It's already the life you've lived. You know, someone else's forgiveness must be given to them. You receive forgiveness. But in order for forgiveness to keep flowing, you have to give it. You have to give it. You have to distribute it. It is a choice. Because <clears throat> um, our treatment of others, and you see this throughout the scriptures, right? Throughout the gospels, you see that the treatment of others is the real indicator as your own character, your own heart. Like, that's the real deal. You can say whatever you want to say. You can get down and ask for mercy and... And you can do all the right things. You can say all the right stuff. You can hang out with the right crowd. None of that actually matters if your heart's off. I, I would actually view you to be in the wrong circumstances and with the wrong crowd and your heart to be clean. Because then you actually have an opportunity to minister to those people, right, who are needing that same help. So why do people, or where do people get stuck on forgiveness? Where do people get stuck on forgiveness, right? I'll kind of share the three things. People get stuck thinking that. If I forgive them, then what I'm communicating is that what they did is okay. Some of us are unwilling to forgive someone because the mindset is if I forgive them, that I'm saying to everybody else, the whole world, what they did is okay. Can I just say that is false? That is false. I forgive them is not the same as saying what you did is okay. Their sin against you needs to be dealt with, but you're not the one to deal with it. God is. God is the righteous judge. And what you say, you say, I put that on the cross. I put that on the cross. Jesus bore our sins and our transgressions, and he bore theirs too. you got to put that on the cross. And you say, that's not for me to go take that in my own hands. I have to give it to Jesus and give him that pain. The number two reason why we get stuck, people get stuck thinking that not forgiving them means that they pay the price for what they have done. That's false. They don't pay the price for your bitterness. You do. It's a poison to you. And it grows, and it festers, and it changes your demeanor, and your attitude, and your relationships, and everything you do. But if you choose to forgive them, then what you're saying is that person owes me nothing. The king said to him, I forgive you of everything, your 10,000 talents, go and be free, be released. When you forgive someone, it is not forgiveness with strings attached. It is forgiveness that is complete. You owe me nothing. I've moved on. I've let you. I've let the, your ability to actually hurt me, in a sense, I've let you go. I've let the bitterness go and the pain go. The third thing 
the reason why we get stuck sometimes is that unforgiveness is protecting me. The mindset that says, if I hold on to this, is protecting me. And you know, everyone in this room has been hurt. There's not a single person in this room who's not been hurt by another human being, right? You've all been hurt by someone, some in very deep, hard ways, some not as severe, but you've been hurt. But to think that you can hold on to that unforgiveness and bitterness and that it's somehow going to protect you is false. You think that they're not going to hurt you again if you hold on to it. But in actuality, the initial hurt just gets worse and worse. I want us to stand as we close today. Um, let's invite the band up and our prayer ministry team. Just make your way up here if you would. Someone said to me this last week, they said, you know, um, the root of unforgiveness, uh, there, there's a really dark side to it that we don't often talk about. Um, and the root of unforgiveness is that you're choosing to partner with the devil. You're choosing to partner with the enemy. And why can I say that? Because it says in the scriptures that the devil, he is the father of lies. And it says that his nature is actually to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've never seen a positive result from unforgiveness. I've only seen unforgiveness hurt. I've only seen unforgiveness cause destruction. I think we could all say the same thing. So some of you this morning may be stuck, and I, I was praying this morning and just got the sense that every one of us in this room, there is at least one person that needs to be forgiven in our lives. That if you ask the Father, he'll reveal to you, hey, there's a person. You may know right now on the top of your head. Oh, wow, I know who that is. It may be little, it may be small, it may be big. I don't know. But there's an opportunity for every one of us to release someone today. There's an opportunity for every one of us to say, I forgive and I will let go of that. I will not harbor that anymore. What if this morning over 700 people got released from your unforgiveness? I mean, think about the power, the multiplying power of that. But maybe you're here and you're just saying, I don't want to forgive. It's too hard. Then let me ask you these two questions. I want you to close your eyes. In a moment, you'll have a chance just to come up and get prayer and to worship. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to ask these two questions. You're just asking them to God. You're saying, God, what will my life be like if I don't forgive my husband or my friend or my coworker or my parents, or my coach. What will my life look like if I don't forgive? Just ask that question to quietness your own heart. Just gonna ask that God would just speak to you right now. You know, usually when people ask that question, God speaks and he says um, he'll get people pictures of like darkness or being in chains or walking down dark alleys or people being beat up because God doesn't partner with unforgiveness. But I want you to ask the second question. If the first one looks a little bleak, the second question may give you hope. Ask God, Father, what would my life look like if I do forgive them? 
What would my life look like, God, if I do forgive this person? I want you to think about the person that God's highlighting for you to forgive this morning. What will it look like if I actually forgive them, if I actually let them off the hook and allow you to deal with them, God? Usually what God reveals is pictures of people running, dancing, laughing. God may be speaking that to you right now. May you just be sensing freedom and some joy and some hope being restored to your life. When you say, God, what if I forgive them? What could that look like? So here's how we're going to end today. If you're here this morning and you need help, just break through on forgiving someone. These guys are up here just to partner with you. They're just here to war with you, to say, yes, I want to agree with you. Let's extend forgiveness. Let's deal with that this morning. If you're comfortable, come on up. Let one of these guys pray for you as we worship. If you're not comfortable coming up or just want to stay where you're at, that's great. But just want you to, I want you just to press into God right here in the next few minutes. Press into God and say, God, what will it look like if I do forgive them? Lord, give me the strength. Lord, help me understand. Help me understand that forgiveness is a passion of yours. It is needed. So, Lord, we just invite you to come right now. Holy Spirit, we pray. Would you come and just reveal things to people in this room this morning? Would you let us be a people who walk out of here free, not chained up, not slaves to something, to our debts, God, but that we would receive your forgiveness and then we would distribute it, God. We don't usually have a hard time maybe receiving it, but we do have a hard time giving it, God. Would you do that this morning in Jesus' name?